Welcome to Wrong Opinions Only with your hosts Justin and Kayla, and we are back for a movie review week, and this week we are doing documentaries. Yes, we both love a good documentary, and we've done a couple in the past, and I'm excited for this one because I think we gave each other two different ones, some serious, some lighthearted, so... Completely different Yes, docs. and I, I like that because it's we're coming at it in different angles, but... uh. Is there a documentary that hasn't been made or could be done better on a subject you're interested in? I'm always interested in what documentaries you wish were out there. So I am a big fan of the documentaries on uh, the financial scandal, mm-hmm. on you know big uh, entrepreneurs that go bust. So like the WeWork documentary I thought was good. The one on Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos, the inventor, was good. Becoming Warren Buffett I liked. Those are the things I like is when it gets kind of the financial industry and how people got to like these crazy heights and then either maintained it or completely fell off because they were bullshitting. So that's going to get me pretty much every single time. Yeah, it's just something about watching the rise and fall Mm -hmm. of so many companies is intriguing, Um, especially when they're doing crazy shit like Theranos. So excited for that Netflix show to come out. Um, I think I, I love a behind the scenes. Like I love how things are made and like, you know, people talking about, um, a piece of art that they did. And so, you know, the Avengers movies, the Marvels, I mean, Disney makes 80,000 things of that between the cartoon, what if series all the way to the films themselves. I would love to see a film that showed the Russo brothers and just how they piece together these plot lines and stories across so many years because from a writing perspective that is just bananas how something in the early 2000s when Iron Man came out like was able to connect you know all the way to the end in recent few years like to put these little morsels in films and have it play out I would love to kind of know more about the psyche of what goes into that yeah that's a that's a really cool idea like if you actually have footage to make that happen I know um, they're making a lot of these documentaries are turning into mm-hmm. kind of limited series shows. Like, uh, I know there's making one on the Lakers in the yes, 80s. Yep. Used to be called Showtime, but they can't because it's being made by HBO. Yeah. So now it's called <laughs> Winning Time. But I know Super Pumped it is about Uber starring right. Joseph Gordon-Levitt. That's coming out on Showtime. I'm going to watch that because, of course, I am. The Dropout about Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos. Oh, yeah, I'll be there day one. Yeah, Amanda Seyfried, that's going to be awesome, I think. We Crashed about WeWork, and that's got Anne Hathaway and Jared Leto Mm -hmm. in it. Like, they're starting to turn these really interesting stories into limited series with kind of how TV has taken off and how everybody is really kind of turning to these true true shows, true crime or biographies or inventing Anna on Netflix is based on a true story, right? So there's a lot of these shows or former documentaries that are now being turned into large-scale shows because there's an appetite for it now, maybe more than there ever has been in the past. And whether they work or not, I enjoy kind of seeing the ride, whether it, you know, was worth one doing and two, was it well acted or well played out? Um, I've heard some 
crazy things with becoming Anna, so that's still on my list. But the Theranos, something about that black turtleneck and the wide open <laughs> stare is just haunting. And so I just can't wait for that one. Yeah, it's it's very intriguing, especially when there's these people that you can tie to or you can look at uh, speeches from or videos from or YouTubes on where you can see their uh, mannerisms, how they talk, specifically Elizabeth Holmes, right? She had a very kind of deep voice. She was kind of like robotic almost mm -hmm. to a point. So how is Amanda Seyfried going to play it? Is she going to play it true to that? Or is she going to add a twist to it? So that's kind of intriguing, too. Yeah, I, I love all that stuff. The Amanda Knox one was also very mm. good at, done on Netflix. And actually with her input, which I appreciated because a lot of them are about the sensationalism of the media at the time. But I like that she was able to kind of talk about her experience because I feel like her side kind of gets ignored. So what you pull from it is your own to decide. But I liked that they had that factor in it. So, uh, yeah, with that being said, let's get right into these documentaries. All right. Sounds good. So I assigned Kayla Pharma Bro, which is available on Hulu. And that is the story of Martin Shkreli, known as the Pharma Bro, who got in a lot of kind of saw a lot of heat, especially over social media for jacking up the price of a uh, of a drug, basically. So mm -hmm. I won't go into too much more detail on that. And then what did you assign me, Kate? I gave you the law, the last blockbuster, the and that's lost a, the loss. <laughs> also, the loss, but where is it? Um, the last blockbuster, and it's available on Netflix. So two completely different uh, kind of routes we went with that. I gave you something that I watched it uh, probably a few weeks ago because I was very interested in the story. Kind of had it in my queue because I knew it was coming out, but I didn't want to pay for it, and I wasn't a huge fan of it. But it was very interesting to me, and I thought mm -hmm. there were a lot of good talking points with how it was done, and the whole story about Shkreli, I think, is interesting enough where I'd kind of like to see your thoughts on it. So that's oh, why I, I gave I'd love to you. share them. <laughs> um, and I gave you the last blockbuster, because that actually like looked like a silly documentary that I wasn't going to watch on my own, but... I was at my parents and my dad put it on and I found myself kind of like putting down my phone and just listening because I found the people who were talking in it really funny and just the general nostalgia of Blockbuster at the time, which was such a vibe, like Blockbuster was the place to be, loved it. And so I just kind of fell into it in that and just my love of Blockbuster. And we are now at the age where it's all about nostalgia. Yes. Bring me back to the 90s, the, the yes. odds. Like, bring me back. I don't want to age anymore. No, I'm no, I'm now. done. I'm done. I'm tapped out on that. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's what we gave each other. And you know what? I'm ready to go first. How about that? All right, do it up. All right, so like we said, the documentary I got was Pharma Bro. It was directed by Brent Hodge. It came out October 5th. 2021, not too long ago, and notable subject, of course, Martin Scarly. Uh, Ghostface Killer was in it. Wu Tang Clan ain't yep. nothing to fuck with. Uh, Milo Yiannopoulos. Ugh. Um, I couldn't find any information on the box office gross budget, um, but I couldn't imagine it was too much. I, he seemed kind of like a. Uh, he's experienced different films. Like he's done different films, but I didn't get the sense it was like a huge major budget documentary. No, um, yeah, it seemed pretty kind of bootstrappy. Yep, no reportable score, no awards, but some interesting facts is that the director moved into Scarelli's apartment to kind of gain some intel slash run into him, so which is just a bizarre thing, and I'm wondering like journalistically or is is there some sort of line there, but that was kind of wild to me. Um, I guess it kind of worked in his favor. Um, and then in 2014, Hodge, the director, released a critically acclaimed documentary called A Brony Tale. 
Oh, no. And I want to know if you've heard of this. I have not. It delves into the world of the teenage and adult fans of the television show My Little Pony, Friendship is Magic. And they're called bronies, (sighs) is what the fans are called. And it's through the eyes of musician and voice actress Ashley Ball on her trip to the 2012 BronyCon. Did you know that was a thing? No, nobody knew that was a thing. Not <laughs> I, a single person knew that was a thing. I, besides him, I'm not gonna lie. Once I discovered that was like another documentary, did I'm intrigued by this documentary? The bronies out there, if you're listening, I'm intrigued by your world. I did not know there was this teenage and adult fan base who <laughs> loves My Little Pony, specifically Friendship is Magic. So shout out to the bronies out there. Um, so the plot itself. It's a documentary profiling Martin Screlly, the financial entrepreneur and pharmaceutical tycoon from Brooklyn, New York, known for raising the price of an AIDS drug, Daraprim, 5,500% overnight. He bought the sole copy of a Wu-Tang Clan album for $2 million, and he was convicted of securities fraud. And that's kind of at its base. Um, first few thoughts... I had a communications professor in college that used a textbook that was like really outdated. And he said it was because he didn't want his students to pay like ridiculous money for textbooks. And he said we would kind of spend the semester learning what was wrong with it. And I thought that was like a really interesting way to kind of do that. And I appreciate it from a financial standpoint. It's a broke college student. I mentioned that just to highlight that sometimes you need to watch a bad documentary to know why a good one is good. Um, So, yes, I didn't think this was an especially very well done documentary, and that's not to say the subject material wasn't interesting. Um, To me, it kind of felt like an on-the-ground kind of bro-ish, like, viewpoint of trying to tell a complicated story of what I feel is a mostly uncomplicated guy, like, as far as the psyche of why he does what he does. Um, and that's not to say I don't like more kind of gritty, low, low to the ground budget documentaries. Like I love vice documentaries. I think they do some crazy stuff there. Um, I just didn't feel like it added much to the, what kind of was already said about Martin, I guess. Um, I will say, yeah, I think the, uh, creator of this doc was in over his head. Mm -hmm. I think it is just a wealth of stuff you could have done with this. It's a very interesting story. And I was honestly disappointed in how it turned out because I was excited for it. I was like, there's a lot of information here to work from. I knew he did kind of these mm-hmm. live uh, videos that live he... Live streams, yeah. Yeah, which I'm sure you'll mention later. But I just thought... I came away with it like wishing he had done more and wishing it was done by, honestly, a better, more experienced maybe yeah. documentarian. Yeah, I just felt like I didn't learn anything more than I already knew on the situation. And I think one of the big, I guess, lens viewpoint he was trying to show was his comparison of Martin Scarley to like a villain, a comic book villain. But for me, like that didn't necessarily hit. And if anything, I felt like that was giving him way too much credit um, as his villain mentality. Like that's not kind of how I, I understand him, at least is what I've seen in the media. And I looked up some articles like, about the documentaries. I'm like, is that just me? Like, you know, what do oh, other yeah. people say? And this one read, I said, Hodge is not always on Scarly's side, but he appears convinced he's made a well-rounded portrait as opposed to a dubious bottom-feeding bro-to-bro testimonial. And when it said bro-to-bro testimonial, that's kind of what it felt like. Even when he runs crazily, runs into him on the street and kind of says, like, I live in your building. It's like, 
he's embedding himself in his own documentary and he it feels very self-servicing. When he knew he was on a live stream, yeah. like all of it was very like self-serving in a way that just didn't sit right with me when you're portraying someone who did some truly disgusting things. Yeah. So I was yeah. just like <sighs> You know, I just didn't, I, I didn't quite like that lens, and that was kind of the film. Um, Viewpoints-wise, like I said, at the height of the Martin Scarlet drama, I felt like towards the end, like kind of when he got most known was when he was in the middle of his kind of legal trouble. Um, I think most people who know of him consider him a villain, so, like, I didn't think that was crazy, like, to consider him, like, how he wanted to do these things that he knew would antagonize people, right? Fans and people like even his live streams were like to insult people. And like, he clearly like wanted some sort of fame or being known for this thing. So like, I, I understood like villains, even cartoonish ones, like kind of want to be the bad guy and like be known for it. You know, I came around out of this doc liking him more. Oh God. Okay. So, I don't want to go into your psyche of that. That alarms me. Uh, <laughs> but uh okay. Well I'm curious now, but I digress. Um I, I kind of just see him as like a Martin, at least like a narcissistic asshole who will want to be in the limelight. Like I think he's giving him more kudos and credit to like this well thought out, like kind of villainy thread. And you know, his, his interest comes off as eager, the directors. And like, he wanted to be the one closest to him, you know, like the apartment and bringing him beer and all that. Just like I said, it was kind of self-evolved. So it was hard to like, just focus on this, him as a villain. And like, was this predetermined? Like, did he know he always wanted to like kind of stir the pot and affect people's lives in this way? You know, like a lot of it was just to be kind of the, asshole like especially like the wu-ting wu-ting side of it like you know he bought this album that was like a special album that hadn't been really listened to by anyone it there's only one copy and he bought it like used it as a coaster like he just kind of was like asshole move that was yeah you know like so clearly he did things not just to be like the sole owner of it but to show like this is nothing to me and i think it's funny that you guys want to hear this album and i'm just using it like garbage like clearly there's something going on there that you're doing that extra level of antagonizing people. Um, the people he had in the documentary were pretty wild. Like, first of all, the Milo of it all, like he's also a disgusting human being. So I honestly like hated even seeing him being asked questions in this way. Um, the Christy Smith of it all, the, which was one component I did like because he shows her as this objective reporter for the majority oh, yeah. of the doc so weird. where she's like commenting like, you know, and then all of a sudden you, you find out it's revealed that she fell in love with him. So you're kind of seeing her as this like, Oh, he's asking this journalist about her opinions of the whole media frenzy with it. And then you find I was out like, like throughout the doc, I was like, she's being like pretty like nice on the line. Yeah, yeah. She's like kind of being a little like, uh, deferential to Screlly here, and I don't know. She doesn't seem like she's super unbiased. She doesn't call him anything mean. Nope. She doesn't. She can't necessarily like deny some of these things, but she does try to like paint it in a very neutral light. So I did a little more reading on her. <laughs> the The whole thing of it is wild. It's like she like she basically when his legal troubles got worse was like the more she kind of fell in love with him she started like advocating for him on twitter and arguing with his critics 
Um, she resigned from Bloomberg after HR spoke to her about her social media conduct because she was just going crazy on social media for him. Um, she divorced her husband to be with him. Um, she made like frequent visits to him in prison. And then she said they're life partners and she's never been happier. And then it turns out when she got interviewed for an article, um, he just said, uh, Martin Screlly just sent a message to the or a response to the article. He said, Mr. Screlly wishes Miss Smith the best of luck in her future endeavors. And that's it. <laughs> um, just wild. Um, she, she keeps a photo of them near her bed. I mean, just crazy delusional. I don't, I don't know what that's about, but. I think some people just are so attracted mm -hmm. or like get caught up in intelligence and not even power in this case because he was in jail, but he's clearly a super smart guy, right? Right. He's very intelligent. He understands how to kind of manipulate situations. And then he, he kind of, he acts like a petulant child sometimes. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's kind of weird how he balances everything out. I, I personally think it got a little overblown the big jump in price he made for the, the Daraprim. It went yeah. from $13.50 to $750 overnight. Right. right? So a 56X increase. That's It's capitalism as its foulest, but it's capitalism nonetheless. It was sitting there for anybody to do. He bought it. He increased the price. He could have increased it maybe by 10X and then 10X again or something like that in order to to get it to that point over a few months instead of kind of doing the shock value thing. But him as a businessman is, hey, I have a responsibility to myself and to my shareholders to increase value. The insurance companies are going to be paying for this, like as should be paying for it everywhere. And this isn't going to be coming out of the pocket of the people. I thought it was kind of an interesting model and he used that for a lot of different drugs where he'd buy it because the patent had expired nobody had bought up the patent and nobody had made a, any type of generic version so he saw kind of a moment in the market took advantage of it and just did it he was an asshole which is why he got arrested for something completely unrelated because he put such kind of a for target Ponzi on schemes, his back. yes well yeah uh, and yeah you hear about that and that happens in freaking Wall I understand, Street and but, stuff. but it's bad. It's, you know, it's like, I do like that it does like what you're saying. It, 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 him doing what he did isn't any different than tons of other people in big pharma who are doing the same thing. You're yep. not hearing about them, right? Because they're not buying Wu-Tang Clan albums and, you know, all that stuff, right? That probably obviously brought him more to attention than others because it's that's happening right now. And the fact that what he did didn't even get him in legal trouble because it's perfectly legal. It was the Ponzi scheming he did in his prior career. Um, but I, then that's one of the things I say I would have been more interested in. It's just the complex health industry complex in its whole and yeah. how insurance companies scam you and how we, how, you know, I remember watching that documentary Sicko by Michael Moore and, and you can say what you want about Michael Moore and his, his skewing of his own films, but it really like just was horrifying on how insurance companies basically make money on killing people. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and getting into the weeds on that is just like, it's just, it's crazy. And so, so if you did want to take a stance of he's trying to get back at the insurance companies by screwing them over while still not affecting the end user. 
was the supposed goal. Yes, but it did affect the end user. And so I think that's where it like, you know, my responsibility to my shareholders, my responsibility to this is like, okay, but what is the business that you're in and who who's getting affected? Is the insurance companies really getting hurt by what he's doing? Or is the people who you know, aren't going to hospitals because the hospitals get like a discount on the drug. And so it's not maybe seven fifty to the customer, but how often are they going to the hospital to get that drug versus like over the counter? And I would have liked to see more information on how many people didn't get access to it because there was a situation where the guy was on a Reddit thread and he was like, what, what do you mean? Like, no, this isn't happening. They, my insurance won't cover this. This is bullshit. And then Martin directly replied to him and goes, all right, give me your information and then kind of settled the thing. So to me, it seemed like it was supposed to go through the insurance companies. They weren't supposed to be able to kind of drop this from their coverage. So it shouldn't have impacted the people. But like you said, it did end up impacting people, at least based on what the documentary told. I would have liked to see some more numbers on that. Like how many, what percentage of, uh, you know, coverages dropped this? drop this drug because of the price increase and how many stayed the same, how many people got screwed over and potentially died because they didn't have access to this. Yes. Or was it overblown and 99% of the insurance companies still covered it and there were the few kind of outcasts that, who still got screwed over and it's not cool. But like, what what is that breakdown? I he, yeah, that's, he had and, so much that he didn't get into. And it's almost like where I would have rather, like I would have been more interested in that because, and I, the documentary does touch on like, well, why didn't, you know, victims of this come out? And they talked about still the stigma on HIV positive people and people true, with AIDS true. like aren't going to come out because to this day, it's still kind of like, you know, people don't want to associate with you and there's judgment and all types of stuff still. So I understand why this particular drug, you're not hearing this outcry of people That's who maybe point. don't even, people don't even know that they're taking it. Um, you know, so yeah, I'm more interested in that because that is a huge problem. And like I said, the fact that it's not, it wasn't, you know, you couldn't prosecute him on anything like that because that's kind of the business. Um, but I think that the capitalism side of things where it's like, this is the status quo. This is what you do. You, you took a good opportunity of a drug and you know, this or that it's like, okay, well that gets to a larger discussion of, you know, what is, you know, capitalism in general, your feelings on it. And then just what is a social kind of response and what do you, you know, it, it it speaks to morals, perhaps, and it's not just black and white of like this is good and this is making money is bad. You know, it goes more into like what, how do you want to be making your money? What is okay to be made money from? And so, is drugs in this industry, which is drugs to help people, um, you know, where who goes wrong? Is there any fault in it? You know, like where does it start? And I think I would have loved the documentary just on that because I don't understand it myself, yeah. and so I just know that it's occurring. Um, I know insurances drop medicines all the time. I know that healthcare obviously is a huge, huge thing right now, continues to be, especially in the U.S. Um, in comparison to other countries. And so I think I was more, that was a side of it that I was interested in, even though perhaps it wasn't so, going to be so much focused on Martin Screlly because he was a cog of it, mm-hmm. but it could have been him as a branch into that conversation of like, he's doing this, but guess what? Like, thousands millions of other people are doing the same thing and in worse ways and with different drugs. And I would have think that would at least educated me on something more than I think his side of things, which was kind of limited and kind of what I already knew. And that's all. Cause it was an interesting, 
the villainy stuff that he did is is not really just him. It's no, so many other people. Eye. Yes. So he got drawn to him and he kind of became the scapegoat for an entire industry. Mm-hmm. And then people that are making millions and billions off of doing the exact same thing, just a little more tactly. He was kind of out in front. He's like, I'm not changing the price. This is what it is. It'll be fine. These people aren't going to have to pay for it. It's just the insurance companies. Screw them. This is what I'm doing. And I found it super interesting when they went back to his home country. Mm-hmm. And they were kind of like proud of yeah. it the, the vibe I got. Like, oh, yeah, he's one of us. He's one of us. And it's just like, huh. All right. So they didn't really associate, I guess, the shame of being charged with security fraud. They associated him with somebody who got out of here who made it. He yeah, I think it goes money. back to that kind of immigrant mentality and an and era of a different time of you put in hard work. Someone who comes from nothing making a lot of money is yep. someone to look at. And it's not necessarily how you're getting to that money. I mean, you know, even, you know, I was just watching uh, Goodfellas. Uh, For recently. the first time, people. For this the is first the first time, time she's and, ever watched it. You know, of course, the Henry, the main character, he looked to the mob not as a, um, you know, terrible. He wanted to be a part of them because he wanted that money. He wanted yeah. that, that luxury. It didn't matter how they were doing it, you know, whacking people and scheming and all this stuff. It was the life of it. Right. And so, you know, I think that is what they're, that that's what it seemed like they were kind of observing and appreciating. Like he came, he didn't have a lot of money. He made a lot of money. He comes from where we are. He is a scrawly name. Like we're interested in that. And so, yeah, just it, it, the movie more made me think of the ways that I would have been more interested in how he relates to pharma as a pharma bro. Mm-hmm. What are, who are the other pharma bros? Like, you can't tell me he's the only one, but he wasn't the one, you know, showing out a live stream every night and laughing at people for what he so did. So wild. Like, he was, a, I mean, no excusing any of his actions on Twitter and the live streams and the heinous kind of stuff he was doing there. It is just so odd that he just had this constant live stream of him doing nothing Mm -hmm. that people would tune in for just because he was an asshole and they're like oh he's kind of famous i guess now let's watch him be an asshole and i will tell you if you haven't watched inventing anna on netflix becoming no it's becoming it's inventing anna okay i just watched it i thought it was interesting story they could have did more with it but whatever he uh not him but somebody portraying him makes an appearance in that uh show which i thought was kind of funny so he is a strange looking guy. Yeah. Uh, definitely, you know, if you saw him. So, yeah, I think, yeah, I just, I, I wish there was more almost. And, and you know, it, it takes you watching a film like that to see kind of the, like what would have made this better? What do I appreciate in maybe more well done documentaries? And so it wasn't like I left going like, eh, I already knew that stuff. I was like, oh, this is where I wish this happened in this. Because yeah. it gives you that better critical thinking anyways when you're rocking documentary so kind of my last thoughts are just it had a good base i just felt like more could have been done and i just didn't like how involved he was in martin's life to get a story or to become part of it and i just felt like he didn't have the means or ability to tell the story that he was i think trying to tell and so it comes to a point like is it worth it at all if you're not really able to add much to the space. I don't think he got any benefit of living the floor below Martin. Like, he was just like, well, I had to be close to him. He ran him to him on the street mm-hmm. once. He brought him a six-pack. You could have watched his live streams and called in from anywhere. Why did you need to be there? It just, 
it was such a weird move. It was me. weird. And the way he talked about it was weird. Like he just wanted to show like, I'm so into this story that I'm embedding myself into the story. That and it's a like, great point. He, he seemed like a documentarian who was trying to prove he should be a documentarian and showing everybody like, look at all the stuff I'm doing. Look at, I have walls with pictures and articles and stuff. This is what you guys want to see to prove that I'm a serious uh, creator here instead of actually doing the serious creating portion. Yes. Yeah. It's like a messed up. What's that Bruce Willis unstoppable? Yep. You know, like he's like Samuel Jackson, like plotting, like trying to involve himself in the life to have this portrait, the story. Like I told this story like no other. And I don't think he did. Yeah. And so that's kind of my feelings on farm up bro. And honestly, I'm just glad he's, I guess Martin Screlly could possibly get out November of this year. He was sentenced to seven years mm-hmm. and had to pay like seventy million in fines. Yeah, right? yep, yep. And that so, was five years ago. Yeah, so he can probably come out. So I'll be curious if prison changed him. If he's <laughs> still going to be this, he's going to go right back to a live stream to antagonize people. I think he got a thrill of being popular that way. I mean, you could just tell he enjoyed yeah. people who hated him, obviously, and that probably was his downfall. Was because he was so popular. Um, they looked more into his life, and I think that's what ended up getting him above all. But, yeah, that's kind of my thoughts on Pharma Bro. How about you? Yeah, I think you pretty much nailed everything on that front. Um, The movie wasn't made well. Uh, I kind of have different thoughts on how he got charged and what he did than you Mm -hmm. did, obviously. But I guess that's that's kind of why I gave you the movie to have kind of different uh, opinions discussing. I concur. Yeah, it was a controversial thing and controversial documentary. We love talking about stuff, so. So now I guess I have to go into the last blockbuster. Okay, so my doc was the last blockbuster. It came out December of 2020 on netflix uh the director is taylor morden the writer was zeke cam an hour and 26 minutes and they estimate the budget to be around fifty thousand bucks or so so the whole premise of this was blockbuster was kind of this massive global power renting movies and kind of taking everybody to the movies in the 90s and early 2000s and how they started to just fall apart and get replaced by Netflix and other streaming services. And there's just one store that still keeps kind of sticking it out. Mm-hmm. And it's in Bend, Oregon. And the store manager is Sandy Harding. And it kind of follows her and interviews her a ton. She's on screen a lot. And it goes back and forth to how she's been managing her store and keeping it open since 2004. Which, by the way, kind of late to get into Blockbuster 2004. That was right kind of on the tail end of it being out. So maybe you shouldn't have bought the store then. But we, uh, we digress. She's in this little town of Bend, Oregon. It's uh, about 33 square miles. Total population of 100,000. No idea how they do enough business to actually keep this store open to this day. But I did check and it is still open as of what day is it? February of 2022. Wow. Through the pandemic. It's somehow stayed open probably because the documentary was made and people go there to kind of take photos and stuff now yeah i'm sure they must have got like more buzz after the documentary came out oh yeah that's that's one thing i think that helped them dramatically is this doc coming out to drive up business and and they got some of this kind of memorabilia from some of the other stores and from last week tonight with john oliver but when you assigned this to me and i started watching it my Initial thought was, all right, is this going to focus just on the last last Mm -hmm. Blockbuster or how Blockbuster went out of business? 
because when I was getting my MBA, I read quite a few case studies on Blockbuster. Really? Going That's out of like business. it's a thing a lot of people reference. Yeah, and Netflix. Yeah. Well, Netflix oh. coming to power yeah. goes hand in hand with it. So a lot of the information I kind of already knew. So I didn't learn too much more besides that specific store. But it was kind of interesting to kind of have it rehashed and told through through a different perspective. But, you know, Blockbuster was was huge, right? I mean, I assume you used to go there all the time. When I went to my dad's every other weekend, it, one of the nights, it's, okay, let's, uh, let's go to Blockbuster or Video King, which was our little uh, local video store. Yep. And, you know, each of us would pick out a movie to watch and get some popcorn and we'd go home. And that, that was kind of our activity for the weekend. And then at the end, we'd rank it like, all right, who picked out the best movie this week, you know? So those are, are fond memories I have. And they started getting into video games when I got older, which was fun. Yes. I uh, had a Nintendo 64. And when I got to kind of evolve from just being able to either pick a movie for myself or unfortunately, when my little sister came around, I had to pick a movie that we both could watch and we're seven years apart. So sometimes that yeah, led to her <laughs> either getting horrified by a movie or me watching a movie that I felt like I was too old for. But, uh, oh, I was so excited to get those Nintendo 64 games. Like, what new one? Anim- Animaniacs, like, bring it to me. Oh, yeah, I'm with you on that front. And the video games always cost a little more than mm-hmm. the movies, too. But I kind of want to break my uh, discussion of this down into two sub-segments. Kind of okay. the general talk of Blockbuster going out and these streamers, primarily Netflix, taking over the space. Mm-hmm. And then uh, kind of the specific location, which I have a little bit on as well. Now, one of the things from the case studies I read previously, and they did note it in the doc a little bit, is that Blockbuster was making all their money on late fees. Mm-hmm. That was legitimately their primary revenue source was late fees. And the whole lore goes that back in um, 19, I think, 97 or so, Reed Hastings, the creator or founder of Netflix, was uh, pissed that he got a $40 Blockbuster late fee. So he started brainstorming and came up with Netflix. That's the story. I don't know how true that is. Right. But that's how it's like, hey, let's have a subscription model. And Netflix at the beginning of Netflix was, I'm going to mail you a DVD. When you mail it back, I can mail you a new one. You know, it. they couldn't really do it with VHSs because mm-hmm. they talked about it in the doc. They're very bulky. They're yes. very expensive <laughs> to distribute. But when they started going to DVDs and Blu-rays, it became a lot easier to ship, which went into Netflix's, you know, corner right. pretty well. Because then it's like, okay... You ship this back. It's super cheap for us to ship it to you, for you to ship it back. We'll send you a new one. No late fees. And they started kind of building their base. And people got lazier. I mean, people get lazier, right? When things, they can get it at home, they're less likely to go out. But one of the kind of interesting facts, which they didn't get into too much detail on, but I went through one of the old articles I had, and the fact that Netflix was trying to get Blockbuster to kind of buy them out. At one point, and it was back in 2000s or 2000 when uh, they were still kind of getting their base Netflix and they went into Blockbuster's offices and they offered Blockbuster 49% of Netflix for $50 million and that they would basically change from Netflix to Blockbuster.com. And Blockbuster was like, ah, you guys are fucking idiots. <laughs> yeah. There's no way I'm going to pay for that. You, you guys are stupid. And then four years later, Blockbuster tried to mimic it 
in 2004, not nearly as successfully, obviously. But by that point, Netflix had pretty much already taken over the space. And Netflix was doing a lot of these creative things where they're using algorithms mm -hmm. to tell you what you should watch. Oh, hey, you know, you ordered this, you might be interested in this. You may be interested in this, which is the blockbuster model of, hey, this uh, person who works here picks these five movies. If you like what they picked in the past, pick this, is just kind of so outdated when you have the data to tell people what kind of interests align with things they've already watched. And it allows them to point the customer at things they have in stock or things they have available on their service. You know, it's not going to say, oh, hey, you should watch this movie, but we don't have it. It's going to be, oh, hey, watch this. We don't have the one you want, but this one's very similar and you may like it. And Blockbuster, I mean, I'm sure you faced it. Like a lot of times you'd go in and, oh, I really want to see this new movie. Oh, it came out this week. So the 10 copies the store had are gone. I loved, I used to love um, particularly the one in Shop City area, like that was the one we would go to. And I loved if you walked into the store to the far right was going to be the new releases. Yep. And the whole top to bottom bookshelf, like shelf, was the movie. And they would have a fake like um, cover and then they would have the movies or DVDs behind it. And so all you would do is like run to the cover of the movie and try to see if there was a copy underneath. Yep. And I wish I could go back and see what were some of the movies I was just dying to find. Yeah. They probably um, don't age well. Yes. And we were definitely a family of late fees. Not going to lie. I'm sure uh, because my dad just, I mean, he still keeps his cassettes that yep. he determined that he's going to listen to sometime. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm sure we have some movies in our DVD collection that have a blockbuster logo on the side. Not going to lie, but I, I remember when um, Netflix had the mail DVDs, and I thought these are great. I definitely did that when it was started, and they yeah. were doing the mail. I was definitely on top of that, so yeah, much easier. Then, and then Blockbuster, once they started getting their online game going, and, you know, they were doing okay at first, but then uh, they got rid of late fees. Mm -hmm. And that kind of hit the business hard because, like I said before, that was their primary revenue source. Right. Like. You, you're going to get these people to pay an extra monthly fee to come here, but what if they go to the store and you don't get it back? And it started kind of making less sense. I, I got the feeling they were very much, they thought they were too big to fail. They thought they were the, the bee's knees, right? And they just didn't take Netflix seriously until it was too late. Like I said, $50 million for 49% of Netflix was offered by Netflix to Blockbuster. No counteroffer that I could find anywhere in my mm -hmm. research. And right now, Netflix's market cap is $173.5 billion. So what's that equate out to? $87 billion. Good job, Blockbuster. And hence, we have the last Blockbuster, which props to... Is her name Sharon, you said? Oh, you mean the, uh, the store yeah, owner? The store Sandy. Owner. Sandy, Sandy, Harding, Sandy yeah. who has to go to other stores and buy DVDs to fill up the Blockbuster, right? Yeah, that's what I, I was... When I go into this actual specific location, she wakes up early, especially the days when new releases come out. She goes to Target, she goes to Walmart, yep. and she manually buys all these movies to go back to her Blockbuster to load up on the shelves. There's obviously only a limited number of movies right. you could buy that way. You're not getting any type of bulk discount by going through the distributor. So she is doing this really old school, which is once they showed that, I was like, how the hell is she still staying afloat? Because yeah, yeah. you're probably paying 50% more than if you were going through the distributor for that. So I, I don't understand how she got it. 
Um, but they had a lot of a lot of cool people they mm-hmm. had throughout the doc that were commenting kind of on the nostalgia of going to Blockbuster. Kevin Smith mm-hmm. is on there. Adam Brody, uh, Jamie Ken- Kennedy, Brian Posen, Ron Funches was gold. He yeah, was freaking hilarious. I love him. Yep, he was great. Sam Levine. I will tell you right now though, they spent way too much time with Doug Benson. The damn, <laughs> yeah. he, you know. You've seen his face around. He's a comedian. I think he does what Bob's Burgers, the voices, or he's a creator of that. Some of that. He's been a lot of MTV VH1 shows. Yeah. Yeah. He's just they, too much time on him. Like, let, give me more Ron Punches. Give me more Kevin Smith. Mm-hmm. Give me. This guy was just trying too hard to be a part of the doc, is what I got the vibe <laughs> from, honestly. <Okay. laughs> like, and I don't know why. It's not like you're making a ton of money yeah. being off a doc. You're not making anything, really. So, um, one thing that kind of jumped out to me while watching this was. When they got down to the final four stores, it was three Alaska stores mm-hmm. yes. and then Bend, Oregon. And you had uh, John Oliver from last week tonight was like, we're going to send a whole bunch of uh, memorabilia from, was it the Gladiator movie yes. or yeah, something? They had the costume. Yeah, yeah the costume film Gladiator. from uh, <laughs> over to one of the Alaska stores. And then they closed down not too long after. But it was kind of a, a destination spot that let them stay on for a little longer than that. And once those stores closed, speak, Justin, I wanted to see Sandy Harding and her store throwing a freaking party. Like, yes, we're the last one. They can't say any shit about those Alaska stores. We're here because you have to know in that moment, we're the last one on the planet. Guess what? People are going to be coming to our store because they want some nostalgia feel. You have to know that's going to drive up business. So she was probably secretly rooting for the Alaska stores to fail. I'm not going to lie. If I'm cruising through that state and I, I'm look, I'm Googling to see if it's worth making a stop there just for pure nostalgia. And I, I'm sure many people, and there were people that traveled there, like from all over. She was having people from like China and Europe, like people just that's excessive. Like, yeah, come on. I mean, so if I was in the area for sure, I would try to see if I can make it to Bent, but yeah, just the, the like you said, the nostalgia of it and um, some of the stories they were telling about their blockbuster experiences yeah. or meeting people or dates and all this stuff was pretty funny, like the antics. Yeah, it's it's seems like really the perfect like high school job, right? Or the right. summer job where you can just have fun, you're watching movies, you're interacting with people, and And one of the guys, maybe it was John Casey, the former Blockbuster CFO, mentioned people aren't going to Blockbuster to rent movies. The reason this is staying open is clearly because there's a familial feel to it. Like they know Sandy, they know her family, Mm -hmm. and they have this this relationship where they can trust each other. And, you know, maybe they're not going to rent a movie. Maybe maybe they want to catch up. Maybe they'll just buy some snacks there to kind of help out the business. But nobody's really going to rent a movie for, I don't know how much it is now. It used to be like three or $4 right. to rent a movie when you can get a streaming service for like six bucks a month. Right. And that's all like unlimited. You're going to go rent one movie for right now. Or four now bucks. it's in a vending machine called mm-hmm. Redbox. I mean, it's, it's the game has changed, but I will say, you know, we talk a lot on this podcast about the theater experience, um, how much we missed it when we weren't able to go and the camaraderie you have with an audience watching a film, right? Yep. And I think Blockbuster a little bit felt like that. Like you weren't the only family in the store looking for a movie to watch as a family or a game to play. And they had a little kid section and 
you know, I remember walking past the horror section, like scared to look at the photos of Pinhead, but like also making sure I stared at the photos of Pinhead like <laughs> to show I was brave. Like it, it had that camaraderie feeling because everyone was there for a movie. You know, when a movie you loved was out, you know, everyone was seeing that movie. You knew that, right? Versus kind of a little impersonalized when you're on a streaming site watching it from home. You don't kind of get that everyone's watching this movie because you're not visually seeing it you're not seeing the movie out of the shower. or you're battling with somebody for the last uh copy of something like you yes. see one left and both of you are on opposite ends of the aisle and you're like oh shit and you're like kind of run over and you grab it even if you're not sure you want it oh, let me just look let me read the description right. on this let me just slide it behind one of these other movies maybe i'll come back to it right later like where's dude where's my car like why can i not get a copy of this like, that is something yeah my dad and i rented Really? And my dad, very surprisingly, <laughs> like loves the movie. It's such a stupid movie, but I think he just likes the reference, the references dude. to it. It's like, dude, what? No, what? What's mine say? Dude. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just, yeah, you know, so I do miss, you know, even now when we talk films and we talk films with other people, I just, I did like having this physical place you could go to just to see, grab a movie. And it wasn't the quiet experience of just sitting quietly in a theater till it ended. You know, you overheard people talking about movies and like, did you end up liking that? And you met people. Yeah. And and I do miss that as a space, you can another space to go to to talk about films and see films. But now the best space to go to is to listen to our podcast yes. every week when it comes <laughs> out Monday mornings. That's right. So, now also available on Good Pods. Just saying. Look at us now. <laughs> We're making it. <laughs> look at me, mom. <laughs> <laughs> I will say one thing that kind of annoyed me. They had some of these uh, old blockbuster executives on yeah. kind of talking. They were kind of like straight up just not happy about it. You could tell they're kind of sitting there like, oh, really? I got to talk about this shit? Yeah. <laughs> John Casey, the former CFO of Blockbuster, at one point, I don't have the exact quote, I'm paraphrasing, but he said Blockbuster still would have beaten out Netflix if uh, the recession portion didn't happen and they lost all their, they didn't have a lot of cash flow. They're like, if we didn't have this cash cash flow issue during the recession, we would have beaten out Netflix. That's complete yeah. malarkey. Everything they did their entire time after somebody else was coming on was reactionary to what Netflix or another streaming service is doing. They were not forward thinking at all. They did not come up with an original idea. It was let's take what they're doing and try to mimic it four years later than we should have when they've already taken half of our customer base. So I think that was kind of just sour grapes on yeah. some people's parts where they didn't want to kind of admit it. Um, they mentioned uh, John Antiaco a couple times who was the CEO for Blockbuster towards the end when they had a file for bankruptcy. He's a tool. You'll see a lot of, he's mentioned in a handful of different docs. He's just, he's one of those mm -hmm. guys where it's believable when Reed Hastings and Netflix went into the boardroom, he laughed him out of the room. He's one of those yeah, kind of yeah, asshole yeah. dudes that just has that type of reputation. Um, but, you know, it's an interesting story. I, Liked it more than I thought I would. The time mm -hmm. kind of flew by watching. I was like, oh, it's already been an hour and a half. Sweet deal. Um, if I'm ever over in Oregon, maybe I'll see if I can stop by, but I'm not going to go out of my way to go to a freaking blockbuster. Yeah, that's yeah. Just like, me. you just see if you can make up the time, you know, like, yeah. where you're going through. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's 45 minutes over here. Yeah, I guess I could swing by. Yeah, that's kind of what I envisioned for you. Like, I thought it was a good... I feel like we've been watching so many serious ones that I think it's nice just to watch a bunch of comedians talk about you know, blockbuster nostalgia, you know? Yeah. How about when, uh, uh who, who was the actor who was saying when he worked at blockbuster, they'd sometimes uh, get down into the box of the return crate 
where people would like slide the VHSs through the little return oh, off yeah, lap, yeah. and he'd like grab it quick with his hand from somebody to <laughs> freak him I out. I remember. Was it Kevin Smith? I don't know. I don't think it was, it was someone. Kevin Smith. Yeah. It was one of the guys, though. I was just like, oh, that is hilarious. Could you imagine people on the other side being freaked out? That would have been gold, like uh, social media pranks oh, if yeah. they had social media back then. Be kind, rewind, you know? <laughs> that was always the worst part. Oh, yeah. we got to make sure we rewind this thing, damn it. We yeah, don't want to get I don't an miss extra that feed. of VHSs is when you, and then you had the trailers all at the beginning too that you had to fast forward. Oh, true. Yeah. Yeah, at least DVDs, you can just be like, all right, menu, let's start it up and go from here. Yes, I think we'll stick to VHSs with our rating system. Like that transition? Oh, I love it. How about we rate these films? What do you have for the last blockbuster? I am going to give it a three VHSs. I was debating two, but I think it was just me, like I said, knowing a lot of Mm -hmm. kind of the history of it. So I didn't kind of have that surprise shock factor about all these things that happened between Blockbuster and Netflix. But overall, I think it was well done. Uh, They had some good voices in there to give kind of credence to the nostalgia. And, you know, I enjoyed it. I I wasn't upset that I watched it. Okay. I think for Pharma Bro, I'm going to give it a two out of six VHS It didn't get a one. I thought this might be the one that gets a one. This could have been, but I don't know. I feel like something has to just be tragically terrible about a film for me to give it a one, like a lost daughter. Um, Oh my gosh. Oscar nominated film. I'm going to get a two because even with the parts I didn't like, it just made me critically think about areas I would have rather went into. So it wasn't a total loss. And there were some interesting, you know, parts to it. So I'm going to give it two out of six VHS tapes. Yep. And I figured that was better than a Warren Buffett or a Carl Icon um, documentary just about their lives. So, I appreciated yeah, that. No so, yeah. And on that note, let's get to our Swarly of the Week. All right. And now the anticipated time before we get to our Swarly of the Week, we need to draw what movie we'll, we will be doing next month for our movie review. Kayla, it's up to you. Pick a good one this month. Oh, let's God, go. Let's please, go. Pick oh, a good please. one. Please. And I got White Savior Films. Ooh, White okay. Savior Films. All right. All right. Let's hit that problematic film. Let's go. All right. Let's do it up. All right, Kayla, what is your Swarly of the Week? So my Swarly of the Week is going to be an actress named... Anna Lynn McCord, who I actually know from 90210, the reboot. Okay, I was like, the, the name sounds very familiar. Yeah, she played one of, she was one of the actresses on it. Um, but she was trending on Twitter this week because she read a poem about Putin. Uh, quite the time to do so. Uh-oh. And it was a two minute and 20 second video where she delivered a rhyming verse about how she wishes she could have been the Russian leader's mother because he would have been so loved that he wouldn't resort to violence. Um, this video is right up there with the Imagine video that went out from all the celebrities uh, at the height of the pandemic. Um, that was just like, we're all with you, and they're singing Imagine. It just was pretty tone deaf, and that's exactly what this is. Why do celebrities keep doing this? I don't know. If she didn't make this video, I would just kind of remember her fondly as the crazy actress in 90210 reboot and now i just unfortunately had to listen to this poem that was just all about how if she was the mother of putin she would have loved him and he wouldn't do what he's doing and just i'll have to it, listen to what i haven't oh yet. man it, talk about cringe videos and completely missing the boat there with everything going on so i yeah i just 
I don't know why we're still doing this. And by we, I mean celebrities still taking these huge times in history um, and thinking through song or poem that they can make it better. Or a Pepsi. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, so, yeah, she's my star of the week. So just please stop doing this, people. Please. I concur with that. My Swarley of the Week, um, if you guys were following our Instagram stories this past week, you will already know it. So my wife got this crazy, like, Death Star-looking, super fancy cat litter box. So it's got this little uh, drawer that comes out that there's a bag in it, and you could just tie it up and go. You don't need to sift through it like typical litter boxes and whatnot. But it only came with so many, so you need to replace them, and you need to order them through, you know, the manufacturer. And I kept kind of badgering him, hey, did you order more bags? Because you don't want to run out. You don't want it to break. This was expensive. You don't want to do it. You know, doing my typical thing, badgering my wife over and over again. Is, Kayla is pretty familiar. Yes. And uh, she kept, oh, no, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. So out of the kindness of my heart, mm-hmm. I went oh, to, yeah. the, uh, to the site and I was like, I'm just going to order some of these so she doesn't have to worry about it. They were not very cheap. I ordered 100. I was like, 100 is going to be good. We're going to be good for years. We'll never have to do this again because we'll forget to do it. We're fine. I'll order 100. It was like 60 bucks. So two days go by and we get something in the uh, mail dropped off. I'm like, oh, this is weird. hmm, This is from the same place. That's I didn't expect them to arrive so soon. And then I noticed her name was on. I was like, oh, maybe it's something else. Hey, what'd you order? She goes, Oh, I ordered those bags for the um, cat litter box. <laughs> I was like, are you kidding me? Really? Like, how many did you order? She goes, oh, I, I did like the biggest one. You could get 100 bags. <laughs> I was so like, you're well, good I for also- the rest of the cat's lives is what you're saying? Yeah. I was like, I also ordered 100 bags and they arrived like the next day. So we have 200 bags for this litter box, which you probably change out once a week. Like, the bags mm. fill up once a week. It's all electronically, like, distributed to your phone to tell you when to change it out. So if it's once a week and we have 200, we have four years <laughs> of bags for this litter box, which I'm sure we're going to lose and just have wasted $120 between the two of us on these damn bags. That, I mean, that's just what you deserve. I find that funny. I, I find it funny because... Deserve. Yes, because you... Just assume that she didn't do it, and I guess perhaps you there's some evidence, wife. perhaps, <laughs> yes. that maybe that would be the case. But I just really am amused by the fact that you kind of did it on your own, like, all right, I'll just do it, and then that was the time that she did do it. Yeah, so the one I time do, she I did do it. Love, you know what? Don't predict things in chat, and I love that about yeah, her. No matter what you predict, so it's the opposite. That's just so funny to me now. Okay, so she didn't see your boxes and kind of realize that. So it's only when you saw the package in the mail and opened it that you told her that you had yeah. bought it too? Okay. Yeah, because she didn't know I ordered it. It was going to be a surprise. And then she goes, well, I didn't tell you because I wanted it to be a surprise that I actually ordered it. Oh, that's this. great. I just love that. That's... So we were on the same wavelength, but completely opposite, yes. if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, just That's why you guys work. That's yeah, hilarious. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> okay, how about our friendship question of the week? Sure. So... We're doing what's one thing you used to love to do as a kid that you no longer do and why? So a big part of my childhood, I used to collect baseball cards, Mm -hmm. a ton of baseball cards. It's a thing my dad and I used to do. I'd run up to the baseball card shop. I'd get better deals when my dad was with me because they tried to screw the young kid when I, I was there by myself. But I used to love buying baseball cards. I have thousands upon thousands in various different cases, lock boxes, um, 
like up behind me in my office, I have a whole bunch of Derek Jeter cards, including one from the 1992 draft, one from him in high school. And after I'd buy these cards, I'd organize them in different ways because I'd be bored mm-hmm. by team or by last name or whatever. Again, thousands, different, so many binders of these things. And my dad used to collect them when he was younger. So that's kind of a bonding thing. We'd go over his cards. Oh, which of these are really good? And then I would keep a composition notebook and I'd rate the value of the cards I had, like the cards I thought would be valuable. And I'd jot it down and I'd buy these, this magazine that gave you the values every month. And every couple months, I would do that with all of my big cards. So just pages and pages of values that, what did I ever do with that? Silence is the right answer. Yeah. Nothing. Mm-hmm. But now there's a big kind of boom in the sports trading yes, card yeah. um, industry where they are going for crazy amounts and it's very volatile. So it's up and down. And I was like, you know what? Maybe I could get back into that. Maybe I should try it out. And I start looking at stuff online and it's like, oh, a pack of cards is 150 bucks because everybody is trying to do that now. The pandemic kind of made it surge. And, you know, maybe I'll eventually have time to look through my cards and maybe send some out to a, like a professional rating place. But they charge you like 25 bucks a card. So if your cards ends up not being worth that much, then it's like I just oh, wasted really? 25 yeah. bucks for a $10 card. So right. you have to... Make sure you do the due diligence first, but when you get older, you lose time, and that's one of those things where that just went by the wayside because I'm devoting my time to this podcast, for instance, and so many other pointless things. <laughs> yes, yes, we love our hobbies. Uh, I I used to journal a lot as a kid, not necessarily like diary style, but just just kind of like on my day or thoughts on one thing. And uh, I mean, I used to have tons of different ones. And the funniest thing is that they'd have these like stupid locks on them as if my mom wasn't opening <laughs> that, totally reading my stuff. I know you were, mom. Um, and hell if I have any attention span to write down something that I'm doing. I used to get those like 365 journals oh, yeah. in college because I'm like, okay, you just write. It's like a little prompt. You write something and then it's nice to go back and look. And I'm telling you, I probably would last like two months and then all of a sudden you'd have missing days and then i was even ambitious to do a five-year one and i'm telling you there's a couple pages filled out throughout it and i know it'd be so cool to look at something i was thinking five years and then what i felt differently later but yeah no can't do it i just forget or a board or i have nothing to say and so yeah i i don't think i'd get back into it um but i appreciate that young kayla liked writing about her day I just don't have time. I'm living it. How about that? Whoa. 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 Think about the fuck on that. <laughs> um, so on that note, I think that's it for today. Any other thoughts, comments, feelings? No, ma'am. Okay. Then guess what? We'll see you next week. Well, that's it this week for Wrong Opinions Only. Follow us on Instagram at Wrong Opinions Only and on Twitter at Wrong Opinions JK, where we'll be dropping some clues and hints towards next week's episode. Until then, JK out.